0: All right, it's good to be back. And actually, I mean it this time. You know, many times I say that, and I, I don't know if I really mean it, but I am. I'm, I'm glad to be back, to be amongst you. And I hope that you had in your body and your soul a summer season as well. I mean, I hope you got some time to um, relax with family and friends. I hope that you had some energizing trips outside your home, even if it was just over to Starbucks, just getting out of your home, right? I hope you had some refreshing, extended, lingering times with God. I hope you had some time to be refreshed and rejuvenated by reading some good books. I came across this quote that was so good. Uh, Plantinga, he's the president of Calvin Theological Seminary. He's a pretty popular writer in some circles. He said this about preaching, about reading for preaching. Good reading generates delight. And the preacher or the Christian should enjoy it without guilt. Now, he's talking about all kinds of reading. He's talking about fiction, biography. I mean, he's talking about journals. He's talking about poetry, all kinds of reading, even comic books. He's saying we should be read without guilt. Why? Delight is a part of God's shalom. When you delight and participate in delight, he says, you go with God. You go with shalom. I hope you enjoyed some good food and some adult beverages too making new friends, uh, deepening old ones. Uh, we, um, I was introduced to a new adult beverage that's actually pretty famous in Waco. Y'all ever heard of Valcones? There you go. John knows it. Anyhow, this is the time, the summer is the time to do ordinary, normal, godly, heroic life. That's what it's about. Right? I mean, we always, we're always looking for the big splash and we're always looking for the big thing. When real life, heroic life, man, is getting up in the morning and doing your job, loving your wife and loving your kids, coming home, working hard, building relationships, building new friendships, drinking deeply from the gospel. Being refreshed, renewed, changed, repenting, when God shows you what you're really like, asking for doors to open up because you just want to, you just have to. His story is your story, and you want everyone to be swept up in His story. And so you're not a hokey person, you're a Christian. And you talk to people about Jesus in real, authentic ways, like friends right? And we get together and we do this weekly. We get together in small groups, large groups, because we need each other. Because this this walking with God, this knowing God is not an, an individual affair. It cannot be because the Trinity is a community and we're made in his image. So to know God is to be with each other. You have to. So this is heroic life. I hope you got a taste of it. We're going to be doing more of it. So it's not like we're going to be changing the direction in the fall, but you know with the fall comes a good kick in the pants because it's like, oh, everything starts up again, right? Now Calvin said personal maturity is marked by two things. You remember what that is? Knowledge of God, knowledge of self. And he said the two rise and fall together. You can't know God without knowing yourself, and you can't really know yourself without knowing God. So if you want to know God, you know yourself. If you want to know yourself, you know God. After several years now doing summer vacations, I've learned something very important about myself. It has changed and will change the, my approach to my first two weeks of vacation. Forever. My wife's like, oh, please let it. <laughs> you know what I learned? Here's what I've learned. I am a jerk the first two weeks of my summer vacation. <laughs> I mean, I think I go through some sort of ministry detox for two weeks. I don't know what it is, but I'm just like, I'm a jerk. There are so many illustrations of this, so many ways I could point this out to you, but I'm just going to give you one to kind of picture to summarize what it's like to be me for a little bit. Uh, We're tubing the Comal River with family and friends. Uh, Now, if you're going to tube, what do you expect when you tube? I mean, should you expect to get wet? Yes. My wife was so kind to point that out to me after this event, Right? I just get in my tube. I'm just starting to relax. I'm just starting to enjoy the warmth above me, the cool water below me when this tubing specialist uh, jumps 10 feet off a platform from whatever tubing company he worked for because he was cool and he did a backflip and he lands, I'm not kidding, almost in my tube. I mean, he lands two inches from me and he completely soaks me. And for some strange reason, this is hilarious to everyone on the river, <laughs> except me, <laughs> right? And the only one that wasn't smiling was my son who was next to me because he took one look at my face and he said, he's not done with his two weeks yet. <laughs> I wanted to tell you, this is what I heard when that dude jumped in the water next to me. And those of you who are familiar will know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm about to say, ask someone who does. This is what I heard. It's time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Touch gloves and let's go. That's what I heard when this dude jumped next to me, right? (laughs) All right, what are we going to do this fall? Do you know? We're going to do the book of Judges. We're going to do a series called Sons of Anarchy. And I don't know what the second half is going to be, but something like (laughs) Sons of Anarchy scandalous grace, something like that. Those of you that are really creative, I could use your help. But something like that. Why the book of Judges, many reasons we'll look into later. But one reason you need to know now is this, to prepare us for Romans. Romans is coming, folks. It's a coming. That train is coming. And Romans 1 through 8 is Judges in an R-rated movie. And that's what we'll be doing this fall, okay? What are we going to do for the next four weeks? We're going to do a smorgasbord of scripture, a whole variety of scripture. Today, we're looking at a psalm. Next week, we're going to look at uh, a text from Romans. After that, a text from Hebrews. After that, we'll end with a proverb. I want to give you a variety of the text. Give us a little breathing space, a little different way of looking at all the different texts that are out there, genres, Okay? Now, rumor has it that John Bales preached a wonderful sermon on Psalm 42 and 43 a couple weeks ago, right? And you'll notice that we're, we're going to be preaching that today. So I want you to know this is not a redo. <laughs> this is not hit over like, I haven't listened to a sermon yet, and I will, but all I have heard is that it was a fantastic sermon and that it gave life to you who were here So why am I doing 42 and 43 again? It's just real simple. In God's providence, I was assigned Psalm 42 and 43 and some doctoral work I'm doing. So I'm not wasting the sweat, all right? I'm doing doctoral work because I want to further be equipped. I want to further be developed in God's call in my life. What is that? To preach Christ in all the scriptures. To give you, as one textbook we're reading says, give you blood, give you life. I could care less about adding a degree, but I care everything about being a sharper instrument of the gospel. So this should benefit you tremendously. I'm not saying that like something's in me. I am saying that when we are aligned and unpacking the gospel, look out. And that's what we'll be doing. All right, so let's stand for the hearing of God's word. Psalm 42, 43. Sorry the intro is a little long, but it's the way it goes. Landon, thank you.
1: I'm going to be reading Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come down and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and song of praise a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people, from the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the liar, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation,
0: and my God. Please, we see it. Oh Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. We ask that you would draw near to us. Would you give and grant what your word says powerfully and personally? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, did you see the textual GPS that's already in that text for you? To help you navigate that passage, it's given right to you, right in the text. If you can find it, real quick, while I'm finding my text. There's a natural textual GPS in these two psalms. Did you see it? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise in my salvation, my God. This is repeated three times. 42.5, 11, forty-three, five. Thus fusing 42 and 43 together. They are one psalm. There's no introduction to the 43rd Psalm. That's another reason to see that these are to be seen together. They're married. This gives us three nice sections, 42, one through five, 42, six through 11, and then 43, one through five. Three sections. This textual GPS gives you the big idea of the Psalm. It points out, here's the point. And what is the point? What's the point of this Psalm? Here it is. The struggle of a bipolar faith. I mean, do you see it? It's all there in the refrain. You got the pain, you got the praise. You got the wilderness, you got the worship. You got the horror, you got the hope, you got the despair, you got the deliverance. Two complete opposite psychological or spiritual poles are packed in this text. Why? Because real Christianity is a bipolar faith. It's faith in two poles, praise and pain. The ultimate goal of 42 and 43 is not to get rid of your pain. The ultimate goal of these Psalms is to inject faith into your pain. The purpose of this Psalm is actually to push in faith amidst your pain and your suffering. So those of you that are checking out Christianity and you are very unattracted to the church's addiction today of happy faith, uh, let these psalms help you. Real Christianity is bipolar. It's praise and pain. And it's a God who is present in both. And then those of us that spend all our time, all our spiritual energy, all our emotional energy trying to manage this pain, trying to stop the bipolar struggle, let this heal you, let this free you, let Psalm 42 and 43 break your bondage to trying to manage your life and control your life. In other words, it means this, let it help you because many times Christianity just doesn't work. Many times you don't work. Many times your relationships don't work. Many times life just doesn't work. Many times your dreams do not come true, but your nightmares do. And God is not only present, but He's discovered to be enough for you. That's a bipolar faith. So in the praise and in the pain, there's to be a pushed in faith. In the praise and in the pain, there's to be new discoveries of a God who is enough for you. And that word discovery is so key because you and I don't come hardwired to already know that. We don't come into our pain ready to go. We come into pain getting ready to know God in deeper and fuller and brighter and bigger ways. That's what pain does, okay? So we're to discover more of who God is. So how do you live with a bipolar faith? I mean, what do you do? I mean, if you ask that hard question, you say, what do I do? Am I just supposed to stand here and bleed? We get into pain and that's what we mostly do. We're like, I don't even know what to do. I'll just bleed, I guess, because I do that well. You know what Psalm 42 and 43 says? No. You actually do something, and what you do is absolutely heroic. You know what it is? You pray your way all the way through the pain. Here's what it looks like. I want you to see the first two sections 42, 1 through 5, and 42, 6 through 11. In other words, chapter 42 is two sections. Here, the psalmist is a poet of pain. He's an incredible poet of pain. He praises pain. I want you, I mean, look at the first image. That's a very famous one. Everybody knows this image, but you know, it's fascinating. If you look at how this is sung, it's usually sung in hymns and songs and spiritual songs. It's usually sung like it's happy. It's usually sung like it's this great, grand, passionate. Do you want to see my piety? I thirst for God. Uh, well, the image here is Pain. The image here is a, uh, a deer that is panting, straining, dying of thirst. It gets to the water source and it's empty. And the psalmist says, oh God, I am so thirsty. My soul hurts. I need you. And where are you? Verse one, like a deer straining for flowing streams, so strains my deep self for you, O God. The second image of pain is tears for food. You see that verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. Oh God, I eat pain, day and night. Oh God, my my sustenance, my food is pain. Now, we don't have enough time to look at them all. There's, this thing is loaded. You, there's not enough chair padding for you to sit through all the images that are here. So I'm going to look at one more, and that is in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It doesn't get any worse than this. Brueggemann calls this the great chaotic deep. It's legendary in the Bible. You want to know where the origin of fear is? Like, what does fear come from? You want to know where it comes from? It comes from there, according to the Bible. The great chaotic deep. It has this long history in the Bible. It has this powerful, destructive, nightmarish pictorial history in the Bible. You know what it starts with? The chaos of pre-creation. And then you know what it goes to? the great flood that wipes everything out. I mean, the flood, the decreative powers that God formed the world in at the flood, they come back. They decreate the world. And then it shows up as this piled up, parted Red Sea waters at the Exodus. And then throughout the Old Testament, it's called Sheol. It's it's the localized place where the dead live. The great chaotic deep doesn't get any worse. And what we have here is the most destructive, decreative power in the Old Testament is what's happening in verse 7 to describe it washing over me. He's pummeled by pain, wave after wave after wave. Um, I'm powerless before the pain. I'm helpless before it's chaos. All these waters have gone over me. Praying your pain like this is a part of God's way of healing you. And the, if we get that we start praying our way through the pain professional counselors and psychiatrists and therapists and social workers I mean any pastor and ministry leader that's been in it for a while anyone that works with other people on an interpersonal ministry anyone that's been in pain will tell you this there is healing in voicing your pain when we are able to actually identify and voice the realities that are going on within our deep self, as the text says. That kind of prayer is theologically called a means of grace. What that means is, is that God actually uses this means of grace of praying your pain, especially when you're using the scripture like the Psalms to help you give voice to your pain, to help you see what your pain is, to give texture to it to define it, to delineate it, to give the details of it. This is what it is. You start finding your voice in it and God actually connects with you. He connects you to him in the midst of it. It's a means of grace. You start actually seeing, oh my word, he's addressing me. He's speaking to me. He does hear me and see me. You start reading the Psalms, you start realizing he has and he knows my pain better than I do. He's with me. And you get healing happens when that happens. So pray your way through the pain, all the way through the pain. What else does it look like? Look at the third section. This is now chapter 43, uh, one through five. The psalmist is now not a poet of pain. He's a poet of petition. I mean, he prays for deliverance. Look at verse one. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. So some way people, the abuse of people is mixed up into his pain. It's not all his pain because the first part of his pain is that he thirsts for God. The first part of his pain, he's like, where are you, God? I need you, but you're not there. I feel deep in my soul your abandonment. Now, he's saying, vindicate me. you got a kind of a mixture of pain. You've got God not being present, not being real when he needs him most. You've got people that are kind of abusive that are mixed in there. He says, defend my cause of an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. And I'm so glad verse 1 is here. Please hear what God is encouraging you to do. He is encouraging you to pray that God delivers you from your pain. The text is basically saying, will you pray? Will you pray that God delivers you from abusive people? Yes, do it. The text is causing you, pray. Ask God to deliver you from your painful situations and life events and circumstances, from the brokenness of the world. Ask God to pray that you be delivered from physical, ailing health. Ask God to deliver you uh, from a painful self, from the brokenness in your own life and the pain in your own life. Playing the martyr, which is usually what we tend to do when we get in these situations, and you would kind of notice when it happens, I mean, you, you just start sitting in self-pity and it just starts happening. Uh, when you start feeling sorry for yourself, you go through that pole and then you go into, well, I'm going to feel full of myself. I can take it. I don't care what people think of me. You know, what doesn't kill me makes me what? stronger we go, we go that mentality oh, i'm not gonna let this bother me it doesn't bother me how are you holding up oh, it's easy it doesn't bother me it doesn't affect me they can't hurt me when we go to you know feeling sorry for ourselves or feeling full of ourselves, we think that that's strength but it is the ultimate weakness it will lead to personal breakdown the waves will decreate you it will happen. You and I do not have the spiritual resources to carry our own pain. We are not the burden bearer someone else is. And so if we try to play God and carry our own burdens, that burden will wear you. Many times, however, we know that this is, the, this is where it gets really, really difficult and really, really tough. Well, I have prayed for God to deliver me from this, from that. And many times, God doesn't answer your prayer. And you have the scars to prove it. Loved ones do die. Your child does break your heart. They still leave you. You still lose your job. You don't get well. Now what? Now what do we do? Look at verse 3 and 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy hill. And to your dwelling, then I will go to the altar of God. Then I will go to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, oh God, my God. Do you see what's happening here? This is an incredible picture. What you have is that you have these scouts and these messengers and they're called light and truth and God sends them from the throne and says, go, go get her, bring her to me. Get him. Light. Light truth, go get them, find them, and bring them to me. They're exceeding joy. What do you do while you're praying that God would deliver you from your pain? And what do you do when God doesn't answer that prayer to deliver you from your pain? You know what you do? You pray, you ask God to deliver you through your pain there's actually a deeper deliverance in this text and it's found in verse three and four and that deeper deliverance is God becoming more real to us that deeper deliverance is discovering new depths of an exceeding joy so the deeper deliverance is actually God saving you by meeting with you in new brighter and bigger ways And here's how it happens. I want you to go back to verse 7, to the great chaotic deep. And now I want you to look at verse 8. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love. In the Hebrew it's called hesed, which is a great word. Nobody really knows what that word means, so they throw words at it. Uh, It's a Hebrew word that encompasses all of God's personal name. It's a Hebrew word that encompasses all of God's covenantal name. It's a Hebrew word that tries to grasp what God's love is like. It's grace, it's mercy, it's steadfast, it's exceedingly kind. And so that's why you'll see in all the translations, anytime you see steadfast love, that's hesed, that's one way. And then the guy, the context determines it. And then you see hesed in another place and they will go, oh, okay, his loyal love. And then the, they can't find the word. Because you can't ultimately define hesed. It's too scandalous, it's too extravagant, it's too abundant, it's too full, it's too exceeding. By day, the Lord commands his hesit, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And this verse, because you know, I told you I was doing my doctoral work on this. This drives, I've read a lot of commentaries, this drives the commentaries crazy, this verse. They're like, what is this doing here? This verse is in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, we are looking at two sections, Psalm 42, portraits of pain, why is this here? This shouldn't be here. There must have been a new editor. Maybe it's the dude that didn't put the heading on top of Psalm 43. Uh, there's all kinds of wonderful explanations. Why doesn't it belong here? It looks like they say it should belong in 43, usually around verse 3 of 43 is where everybody wants to put it. Somehow it, got, it just missed its place, and the copiers messed up. Why? Because Psalm 42 is a portrait of deep pain, but verse 8 is a portrait of deeper love. There is a bigger, chaotic deep, and it's deeper than the deep. Verse 8 doesn't make sense unless God intentionally overmasters the great deep. It doesn't make sense unless God overrides the great deep. It doesn't make sense unless God overwrites the great deep. In verse 8, love overrides pain. God overloves pain. He masters it. He beats it. His love wins. The victory is so complete. I want you to see this. The victory is so complete that pain is servant to the love. Pain now becomes a slave to God. The victory is so compelling, it's not even, it wasn't even like a contest. Here's the contest. You want to see the contest at the beginning of the world? Here's the primordial great deep. Let there be light. No contest, no competition, no fight. How big's the contest? Jesus walks up to a dead man. He says, hey, Lazarus, come out. No contest. So it's not a contest, but it is a contest. It's the word of someone's power going forward and commanding love to overlove pain. Override it, overmaster it, no matter how bad it is. And no matter how bad it looks in your life. Pain now ultimately serves God's love. God's love commands all authority over everything in your life, even pain. So what verse 8 is doing is actually preparing us for the cross, is it not? In the cross, we have the, the ultimate chaotic deep Unleashed. At the cross, you have the deepest balrog. At the cross, you have the deepest, most destructive, deep power in the universe, which is God's justice unleashed and drowns the Savior. His waves roll over him. in your place, in my place. And when we see that Jesus walked into the great deep, the ultimate great deep in your place, you feel God love you. And that's exceeding joy. And verse eight happens he commands his love to you day and night. Do you see the two poles? Day and night. Because it's a bipolar faith. Oh, well, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the life, your life. It's not just a life that's there, it's not just a power that's there. It is the power of God, it is the life of God. Because it's what you have done, it's what you are doing, it's what you will do. So Lord, we ask that even now you would unleash and release the wonderful realities and blessings uh, and fruits of your gospel as we take the Lord's Supper. We pray that your word would continue to till its manifold fruitfulness in our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.